Julie, welcome back this week. We have, I feel like, so much to catch up on and to talk about. What's going on? How was your week? Well, it's been a very long week. I think really at, until the election, everything is just going to be crazy balls to the wall. And then with all the COVID news and the upticks everywhere around the country, it's absolutely insane. I, I would say, ironically, and like, and I don't mean to politicize this, but they have, in Trump supporting places. Because even in New York and in New Jersey, which has seen upticks, where you're seeing them are in communities that are supportive of the president and don't abide by elementary things like putting on masks. New York, the places where you've seen the upticks are in these ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities where they just don't respect the social distancing and they support the president and they believe that he is right. <laughs> there then. And so masks be damned, the social distancing be damned, which, okay, whatever, but the rest of us are being affected by it. Exactly. And even seeing Trump during his rally in Sanford, uh, seeing Governor DeSantis high five people, wipe his nose, and then continue to be in the crowd was a real just gem of a moment. You know what's amazing? I mean, here's Donald Trump, who almost died from COVID. I know he pretends he didn't, but people who don't almost die from COVID, like me, don't end up in the hospital, right? If you have mild COVID or manageable COVID like I did, you don't go to the hospital. He was on supplemental oxygen, something that I didn't need and most people who have COVID don't necessarily need. He was on a plethora of drugs. And the reality is nobody seemed to understand that this is just something that affected him. He doesn't seem to get that this affected him. It no longer affects him. He thinks he's forever immune. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I have no idea. But what's fascinating about this is that he just doesn't care about anybody else. Exactly. And also, I because you brought up the census a couple weeks ago in our podcast, I've been much more just alert to the news of it. And I wanted to bring up um, the about two points of it, that the, the, the count ended on the 15th. The Supreme Court allowed it to end in the 15th. This Supreme Court, before Amy Coney Barrett even gets there, is such a disgrace, I can't even begin to tell you. So, And this includes, by the way, all of them, including the democratically appointed justices, except for one, I believe it was Sonia Sotomayor who dissented. Um, the rest of them just allowed the Census Bureau arbitrarily to end the census, where the Census Bureau itself has said earlier that they cannot complete the census under these circumstances because of covid they can't send enumerators door to door. They can't do anything until at least at earliest mid next year. But sure enough, because Trump, as you recall, tried to get a citizenship question on the census a couple of months ago and was not successful in doing that. Now is trying to send census data back to the states that doesn't count undocumented immigrants, which the Supreme Court is hearing, which is insane to me that they're hearing it because the reality is there's nothing to hear. The census is very clear. You have to enumerate every single person who lives in this country. If they're a human being, they have to be enumerated regardless of how much money they have, regardless of their status, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their immigration status, anything. And the fact that the Supreme Court's even entertaining taking up this case just tells you exactly how far down the rabbit hole we've gone. But this is an attempt to undercount rural populations, um, the undocumented, and they're shooting themselves in the foot, the Republicans. They think they're just un counting people in the inner city who, for whatever reason, don't want to be counted, people of color. And typically, college students are undercounted. But it's also rural communities. 
People living in rural communities are also typically undercounted. And so if you're in the state of Texas, for example, you're equally screwed because, yeah, you think you're screwing some people in Houston and Dallas and other inner cities, um, people of color, students living in Austin um, who go to UT, and you are, but you're also really undercounting the rural communities that typically tend to vote for you. So you're screwing your own state. And by the way, what this means is that Texas hypothetically will get less money back um, than other states because that's not going to be commensurate with their real population. So I don't know who they think that they're hurting, but they're also hurting themselves. Right. And like the fact, no healthcare dollars, so many things that government, local governments aren't going to get in funding is going to hurt everybody. And companies often look at census data when they think about where to move businesses. There are going to be fewer Walmarts coming to rural communities because those communities are undercounted. Those people have to drive farther to go to hospitals. Those people have to drive farther to go shop at, oh, I don't know, Walmart, Target, any big box store because their their populations won't be reflected. If there was anybody with half a brain in the Trump administration, which I believe there is not, they would understand that they are, yes, they're going to be hurting Democrats, but they're also going to be hurting themselves. In terms of who's going to be counted, some of these congressional districts in rural parts of the country, and and the rural parts of the country are represented sometimes, oftentimes by Republicans, are not going to exist. So they're hurting themselves as well. It's just amazing to me that nobody has really, the people who have thought it through have not thought it through properly because they think this is all about the undocumented and it's not, or all about hurting communities of color, which they think trends, which they think trend democratic, which yes, they do, but they forget that this also affects people who tend to trend Republican. And the rest of the people sitting in the House and the Senate on the Republican side just don't care. And by the way, neither do Democrats, because I haven't heard one senator on either side, especially on the Democratic side, go ballistic on this on a day-to-day basis and bring attention to this the way it should. And they're going to wake up, as they always do when it's an emergency, and say, oh, crap, what did we do? What did we miss? And it's going to be too late. This is for the next 10 years. This is the biggest gift that Donald Trump has given to the know-nothings, aside from unqualified judges, which he's also done. Because remember, the ABA has <laughs> rejected a number of these judges that the Republicans have just pushed through, despite the fact that they're not qualified, according to the American Bar Association. Right. So this is a judges and a poorly flawed design census designed to screw a lot of people not just Democrats, is the gift that this administration, regardless of whether they win or lose, will be leaving this country for the next decade, if not longer. And then I also wanted to ask you about, we're seeing record numbers of early voters. And as someone who helps run campaigns, how does that, does that change your strategy at all with this whole new swath of voters? It's interesting because obviously it used to be that election day was election day and you always work towards election day and these October surprises were timed to affect um, election day and these debates are time to inform people right before they go to the polls, you're going to have probably somewhere like a quarter of the electorate, if not more, already voting by the time we have the next debate. And we also um, consistently see that people have gone to the polls right in a lot of these states, a lot of the early voting states, right when Trump went to the hospital, right when that super spreader event happened, um, right when the virus began to surge again. It's going to be very hard to change that trajectory before Election Day. Republicans know this. And if you look at some Target Smart, which is a great um, 
company has very interesting stats down to, I believe, the, the local municipal level, but at least to the county and congressional levels on who's voted demographically from a party perspective, from a gender perspective, from a age perspective, um, certainly not names, but but who has voted. And it's no surprise in a lot of these, like I was looking at Northampton County, Pennsylvania, which is a swing county in Pennsylvania, which obviously is a swing state. Um, Democrats would need to probably win Northampton County to, to do well in Pennsylvania. Philadelphia doesn't blow it out this year. Um, and, you know, what, what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of early voting in places like Northampton County, no surprise by Democrats. What I'm worried about, what the Constitution provides for, is for the legislature to certify their electors whichever way they want. And in places like Pennsylvania, the legislature is controlled by Republicans, despite the fact that the Democrat, uh, the governor is, is a Democrat. The legislature can certify that the Republicans won by basically saying these early votes don't count. Somehow they're flawed. Somehow there's voter fraud, whatever BS reason they want to come up with, and only count votes that take place on election day. So to me, Democrats have a harder challenge than they should have, which is they have to blow it out on election day, because what I'm deathly worried about, and lest anybody think I'm paranoid, we've seen this movie before, I'm old enough to remember what happened in 2000, um, I'm deathly worried, and the reason that Republicans are pushing to seat Amy Coney Barrett before the election is that for whatever reason, they're going to stop the count. Because Trump could very well win at the polls on election day. Remember in 2018, the Democratic landslide wasn't apparent for a week or two. People were kind of disappointed as to how few seats Democrats picked up relative to what polls showed prior to that. And I remember being on a panel, I believe at, at Rutgers University the day, New Jersey the day after the election, and saying, God, you know, I'm disappointed. I really thought this was going to be a blowout, but it turns out it really wasn't that much of a blowout. And then lo and behold, of course, after the absentee ballots came in, which were fewer than we're expecting this year, it turned out to be a blowout. So but what you can envision happening is Republicans who are going to vote at the polls on election day in larger numbers because Democrats tend to vote by absentee, vote by mail earlier, uh, mainly because they take the COVID <laughs> concerns more seriously, are going to potentially declare victory on election night uh, and the court is going to stop the count. I don't know how they're going to stop the count, but you know they certainly did in Florida, if you remember, in 2000. So in Palm Beach County. So I am worried that that might happen again, and I am worried that that is going to affect the trajectory of this election. I'm worried a 6-3 Supreme Court will allow that to happen. I mean, John Roberts, if he allows that to happen, might as well just pack it in. If, if the most elementary fundamental right of American citizens to vote is going to be used as a political football by this court, then God help us because we don't live in a democracy anymore. That's actually, that's such a good point for people to hear because I, there was a great segment with friend of the pod, Steve Kornacki on MSNBC. And he showed um, on his chart where, you know, for example, 68% of the vote was for Biden. I forget which state, but then only 32% was for Trump. But then he's like on election day, that number essentially switches where most of the people in voting in person are more, will be, could be for Trump, whereas a lot smaller percentage who have already voted early will vote for Biden. So I thought that was yeah. just very 
illuminating exactly to the point that you were making that it's very and concerning. It's, it's concerning and it's concerning how little education there's been. I have a very, my, my closest friend um, said to me that she wanted to go vote at the polls on election day because she didn't care how long she had to wait in line. Um, she lives in New Jersey and she was worried that she, that the postal service was not going to get her ballot back in time. So she was going to go vote at the polls. And I said, don't. And she said, why? And I said, take your absentee ballot and put it in Dropbox because the uh, Board of Elections has to pick it up every day and take it back to the Board of Elections. And you can actually log on to the Secretary of State's website or the, um, and track whether they received your ballot. But, but if you vote at the polls on election day in some states, you would have to vote by provisional ballot. because And what that means is because they have automatically sent everybody a vote by mail ballot, what that means is that they don't know yet whether your ballot has been sent in and hasn't yet been received. And some states like New Jersey takes up to, they, they allow up to two weeks after election day for your ballot to arrive as long as it was postmarked on election day. Um, and what the concern is, is that uh, if you vote by provisional ballot, your vote may not count for two weeks because they have to wait to see whether your absentee ballot that you sent that they sent you has been received for two weeks. So understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about Thanksgiving, effectively, the week before Thanksgiving, before this could potentially be resolved if this is a close election. And which is why I keep saying, in order to assuage any doubt, we have to, Democrats have to blow it out at the polls themselves on election day. And that's very challenging for a number of reasons. One is the virus. People don't want to wait in line pressed up against each other, especially in some of these urban areas like Philadelphia, for example, or Houston, uh, which, by the way, Harris County in Texas, no surprise, Governor Abbott. Um, one Dropbox. Had one, one Dropbox. One Dropbox. It's, it's or, really, yeah. I mean, like the voter suppression, it used to be they used to be cute about it. Now it doesn't really matter. I mean, this is how you descend into something not resembling a democratic society. When you start actively and proudly suppressing people's ability to vote. Absolutely. I mean, it began, remember, with, with, with voter ID. Oh, well, you know, how, why you have to show an ID to go drinking, but why don't you have to show an ID to go vote? Well, you know, I could get into why, and I'll tell you that in a second, but it used to be that, right? Which used to be code for, we don't want people who are poor who don't have access to get a driver's license because they can't find their birth certificate or they can't, you know, find 60 bucks to get a driver's license and, and they live in the inner city. So they take public transportation anyway. They don't have a car. So what do they need a driver's license for? Or, you know, states that say, well, everybody can get a voter ID, but you have to pay for it because they're not supplying free voter IDs. It used to be that their excuse was, well, voter fraud, voter fraud. So you need voter IDs, which translation, we just don't want people who can't afford to get an ID to vote because they tend to vote Democrat. We assume that they're people of color. We assume they're they're low income, so we assume they're Democrats. Um, that was like the scam four years ago. Now it's become much more apparent. They just literally are telling you, we want to make it impossible for you to vote if you live in Harris County, which tends to be a Democratic county. You saw in the primaries, I think it was in Austin. I mean, you saw people, and it was either Houston or Austin, but somewhere in Texas, these massive lines. And this is well after the primary was pretty much decided. People already knew Biden was going to be the nominee. But you saw these incredible lines where, where, where students just stood for hours and hours and hours to go vote. This is the kind of stuff where 
the United States used to send observers to, to other countries to make sure they had free and fair elections. And now it's like we need we need international observers to make sure we have free and fair elections in this country. I mean, what has become of this country? Right. It's just like looking back in at us, I feel like the United States of 10 or 15 years ago, even looking at the United States and how the election, how it looks, would be mortified. Yeah. And you know what? I'm sorry, but it is actually time for all the former living presidents to speak up. And that includes George Bush. I know that he's been very careful about not criticizing his successors. He doesn't say a word about Obama. He hasn't said a word about Trump. He's really stayed out of it. But if on election day or shortly thereafter, it appears that Democrats have won or if the vote has been suppressed, Donald Trump is still not leaving and the Republicans are not going along with it. It is time for all the former living presidents, and he's the only Republican former living president, to do a joint statement. All of them. Carter, Clinton, Bush, Obama. All of them. They have to. Because this is not a partisan issue anymore. And for those of us who've come from countries that are not, you know, democracies to say the least, this is how it happens. And I think people don't think it can happen here. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. It's a slow incremental drip, drip, drip. It just can. Look what's happening. And my fear, quite honestly, is if Biden wins, he's going to think there's some, you know, let's, let's just take a step back go back to normalcy, go back to, um, you know, let's bring it back. Hell no. We need a truth and reconciliation commission the same way we, they had after apartheid in South Africa. You play hardball because these people will never stop. You cannot compete against them with one hand tied behind your back. There is no more Robert's Rules of Order, which means that you immediately, and I mean immediately vote to admit the District of Columbia, which has been clamoring for statehood for I don't know how long, and Puerto Rico into the union which you can do with a majority vote in both houses signed by the president, you immediately investigate and indict people at the Justice Department who have allowed this to happen, starting with the attorney general. And it's not a question of going after your political enemies. And people are going to say, oh, look at this. We're not that kind of country to, you know, democracies don't go after their political enemies. No, it's not about going after political enemies. By the way, I don't want to hear that from anybody who chanted lock her up for the last six years. I also want to just say, this is not about going after your political enemies, but if there is not some sort of real accountability for what was allowed to be done to our democracy, people will understand there's no penalty to trying to do what they did, and it will continue to happen. Right. They'll just look for the next Donald Trump. I'm against the death penalty, but all these people who scream that the death penalty is a deterrent to crime, indictments would be a deterrent to anybody trying this again. The Justice Department has become the Trump family law firm. No, no, it's the United States Justice Department. It is the United States Justice Department. And Bob Barr, who should be disbarred, for starters, <laughs> um, talk about friend of the pod. I mean, we've had former you know, assistant U.S. attorneys on this pod who've essentially said the same thing. I can't imagine what it's like to be a rank and file, a USA working uh, at any US attorney's office, Never mind at Maine Justice right now. Right. I mean, these people who are truly apolitical, I can't imagine what it must be like for them to know that the, essentially the company that they work for, the government in the United States, the Justice Department, is for which 
to which they've dedicated their careers, what they're doing, what their bosses are doing. I mean, no wonder you have this massive turnover at the Justice Department. Right. People, because when you feel that way and you don't believe in a company that you work for, it just like it eats at you day by day. And and the whole goal of, of doing that job is to do better, I feel, and make the world a better place. And To become a USA, USA, it's assistant U.S. attorney. These are people who are excellent, excellent lawyers. And they're people who are, they could go to any major law firm and do really well and make a tremendous amount of money. Like the, the Justice Department, especially the federal prosecutors, they don't hire these, you know, lame ass, you know, bottom of the law school graduating class tier people because, you know, they can't get anybody better. This is really the elite of um, of, of their profession who choose to forego a hefty paycheck and make, you know, a, a fraction of what they could make at a private law firm or as a criminal defense attorney to work for the public. And I think there's some idealism that goes into that. Mm-hmm. And to think that there are people who work there who are doing something because I think they're idealistic about working on behalf of the United States government and what they have to, I can only imagine. I mean, I don't have to imagine because I've spoken to a few who, who recently left, um, what they must be feeling. Right. I mean, Ellie, you know, friend of the pod again, and we had Ellie on a couple of years ago. Um, you, you know, you only need to listen and read what he says to, to, to understand where as a former AUSA in New York, a guy who prosecuted the mob um, in the Southern District, no less, probably the, the, the elite of all um, uh, U.S. attorney's offices in the country. And I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just depressing. And I really hope, I really hope there's not this push by Joe Biden, who I think is a traditionalist to be like, oh no, we don't, you know, this is not the way we do. We don't go after our political adversaries. This is not about that. This is not about that. It's truly about ensuring that this doesn't happen again, ever on either side. Well, this brings me into my next issue. It's also what I'm both happy and salty about because I submitted my absentee ballot to Florida and it has, I got an email back that it has been received. But when I was, when I was voting the amendments on there and I saw a really good quote that the constitutional amendments sound like a mashup between Shakespeare and Yoda. In the Florida ones, I had to read them a lot and then I had to Google them. And it was, it was a long process to see what I was voting yes or no for. But one of them, in particular jumped out at me. It was Amendment 3, and I want your opinion on this. It's cha- It changes the way Floridians vote for state races. So instead of holding separate Democratic and Republican primaries, there would be just one big one where everyone would vote, and the two candidates who receive the most votes move on to the general election in November. Yeah, I mean, you have that in Georgia, and you see that there's a potential that two Republicans might actually make it to the top. I don't like it. A lot of people do ranked choice voting. A lot of people like ranked choice voting. I don't like it. Um, and I don't like it because I think that, well, let me amend. I mean, I don't like it because this is what I do for a living. We have politi- I'm a big believer in political parties, and we have political parties as a, constant, as a contest of ideas. It's very easy to have spoilers in this situation. Right. And I don't like that. Would it impact minority representation as well? Could it? It could. It could. It could. I mean, it could. I, I think ultimately, look, as I said, you have to only look at Georgia to see what's happening. You know, the Democrat running 
against the Republican, one of the Republican incumbents who's up on the ballot in, in Georgia, uh, is Af the leading Democrat is an African-American, I believe, minister, um, a black minister. And then good old Matt Lieberman, Joe Lieberman's son, you know, Joe Lieberman's decided to have him screwed up the Democratic Party. <laughs> He's decided to have his son do the same, is now running this complete Hail Mary campaign down in Florida, ruining it potentially for this African-American minister who's an incredible candidate by siphoning off enough votes, which means that it's a possibility. I don't know how good it is of a possibility, but there is a possibility two Republicans will actually merge to run in the runoff in, um, I believe it's January is the runoff. So talk about disenfranchisement. Yeah, you're disenfranchising, disenfranchising an African-American candidate. Right. Because Matt Lee decided to, you know, throw his hat in the ring. And, and, and strangely enough, stay in the ring, despite the fact that he knows he's not going to make it. Wow. I didn't, I had no idea about that. There was also one other amendment where Floridians have to vote on an amendment a second time, two years later, which is just crazy for me because then nothing will get done ever. I mean, is what? that, it was just, I was reading this and I'm like, I, am I, am I comprehending this correctly? But yeah, it's, it's so Floridians will vote on something and then just to be sure two years later, they need to vote again. I mean, how do you even get that on the ballot? Guys like your children. Right. 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 That, that's really kind of insulting to me. It's kind of like when, one, when a woman wants to terminate her pregnancy after anguishing about it in you know, a long time, some states are like, you got to go home and think about it for three days and then come back and tell us whether you really mean it. Well, no, I mean, you're a grown up. You really mean it. Right. <laughs> and the same thing here. Like, what the hell? Like, how stupid? It just made me it made me very salty so these amendments the wording all of it i i don't think it should be that because i feel i'm very smart but me having to reading read it several times and do extra research i don't I think that's asking a lot <laughs> well how about the fact that of course you now have a poll tax in florida you guys i mean even when floridians this is why florida is just you know a treat every time i mean you literally had people overwhelmingly vote for an amendment to restore felon voting rights in Florida. And then sure enough, what happens? Um, election officials in Florida are actually looking to remove felons from the voter rolls and they still owe court debts. That's a poll tax. Correct. So talk about disenfranchisement. And again, you know why? Because they think these felons are predominantly African-American men and who they think are going to vote for Republican Democrats. Right. Well, not even pretending. I mean, you have a poll tax and, and how is that legal? No, it's overt. It's overt and it's, it's horrible. It's, I'm glad Michael Bloomberg is paying a lot of this, but that's not, that's a band-aid solution. Yeah, it's a band-aid solution. And, um, a federal appeal appears, sorry, a federal appeals court overturned the decision of a federal judge who said that's, you know, basically a pay to vote system, as I believe what he called it. I mean, a federal appeals court is allowing a poll tax in this country. So we might need to get a, a lawyer on this pod to, to explain this to us, because I really do want to know how is that legal? I agree. I, I would very much. I think that's an idea for an upcoming week. But what is along with that? What else is making you salty this week? As if we haven't covered enough of saltiness. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much voter disenfranchisement. I'm, I'm just continue to be incredibly, incredibly concerned about it. I'm also salty about the stupidity 
of these Trump rally goers who continue to believe that the virus isn't going to get them. I mean, they watched their icon, Donald Trump, get coronavirus at a super spreader event. It, it's not a hoax when the guy that you worship gets it. Like, he has admitted that he got it. Right, and they're all... He got the best treatment that you can get. He he was flown to Walter Reed. He was watched 24-7 by doctors. Uh, Joe Schmo living in the trailer park in Sanford is not getting that treatment. And Joe Schmo is not getting experimental drugs. I don't care if Joe Schmo is, you know, the richest guy in the world, or, I mean, he's just not. I don't think they're going to give... They're not going to pump experimental drugs into them. Right. He was only one of like four who weren't in clinical trials to get this cocktail. And it is just amazing to me that they continue to believe this nonsense. I mean, over 200. And by the way, the other thing that's making me salty is they're um, the CDC is no longer counting the dead. You know, that's been taken out of their hands. So we don't even know what the accurate total of people who died from COVID is right now. But we know it's at least 220,000, 230,000 people. That's in the horrible. last seven, eight months. Fewer than that. I mean, that's a quarter of people, almost. So how do you keep track of that? We don't, because everything has become politicized. Numbers have become politicized. Everything has become politicized. So lives are becoming going invisible. Yes, of course. I mean... Four more years of this, we're not going to know anything. This is, you know, I, 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 I don't want to sound like Cassandra here, but and I didn't spend that much time living in a horrible, despotic country. I mean, I was very little when I left. I was, I was almost seven. But, um, you know, you grow up with parents like mine, and you kind of grandparents like mine, and you, and you certainly remember certain things that took place there, and, and you understand what's possible. And I just think most people don't realize what's possible. It is possible for us to become like them. We don't have free and fair elections for a large swath of the country right now. Right. We just don't. When you have one drop-off ballot box in Harris County, we don't have that. When felons have their rights constitutionally restored and they're no longer able to vote because they owe money, that's not... That's not... A democracy when you have to pay poll tax. Right. It's, you know, when there are voter ID laws that, that prevent old black ladies who were born at a time when they may not have had a birth certificate issued to them or who don't have a driver's license or can't have the money to get one or some other form of ID because you have to pay money to get an ID and they have to choose between paying for their medicine or paying for their food and, and spending X number of dollars, sometimes close to a hundred bucks to get an ID to go vote or they have to stand in line for 10 hours to go vote despite the fact that they're, they have pre-existing conditions and that they're old and that they're in a situation where they have to choose between voting and risking their lives That's not a democracy. Right. That's not, I don't know what that is, but that is trending in a really awful direction. And we are about to have a Supreme Court that reflects all those beliefs. Right. I, it was really tough to watch the Supreme Court hearings this week. And also for Amy Coney Barrett to call LGBTQ people in the pretty much 
it being a sexual a preference. So watching that just made me, and then how abortion is on the line, which shouldn't even be a question anymore, really. Yeah, it's just great. All these people, know, she's you're being anti-Catholic. You know. Imagine if Amy Coney Barrett were wearing a hijab. Oh my God. And she's practicing Muslim. And she believed everything that she believes, but she just, just went to a mosque and prayed, you know, and got on her knees five days of, of five times a day and, and, and faced east to pray to Mecca. Can you imagine? Imagine, I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? That would, so, like, yeah. The hypocrisy is amazing to me. It's amazing. That's Religious a- freedom only applies when it reflects their views. That's an excellent, that's just an excellent juxtaposition for just people to think about. Because could you imagine, because all her, her all her stance is very, very much on Roe v. Wade and a lot of different rights would be very similar to what they are now. But that's yeah. very, yeah. That's a great way to frame it and for people to think about this. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, and the people around Trump, they know better. Like you have Chris Christie who was in the ICU for five days, contracted COVID, apparently when he was either at that super spreader event for Amy Coney Barrett or... um, Debate prepping the super spreader. Debate prep, you know, the super spreader. And he did the right thing. He came out and he said, this is wrong. You should wear a mask and you shouldn't trust anybody to take tests. And by the way, we still don't know when Trump's last negative test was. He wouldn't tell us. I still believe that he actually had a positive test the day of the debate. And did the debate hoping to either infect Biden or just because he didn't want to tell anybody he had COVID, but it's just absurd. Um, but because he wouldn't tell us when his last negative test was, whether he took the test that day. So either he had it or he suspected he had it. But what is interesting to me is that um, at least Chris Christie came out and said, you know, I was wrong and I should have worn a mask and I shouldn't have trusted anybody to tell me that they did daily testing, yada, yada. Where is everybody else? You know, Mike Lee, who also had coronavirus, was at the hearing for Amy Coney Barrett. Oh, Mr. Lindsey Graham not wanting to take a test and refusing. That was... Yeah, Lindsey Graham not telling us when he wants to take, you know, what... It's just... The whole thing... The whole thing is so cynical. It's so awful and it's so cynical. And these people are just... They just don't care about anybody else. Like, if you're Donald Trump, here is Chris Christie and Rudy Giuliani, for that matter, who I have zero sympathy for, but I don't want either of them to die. Here's Chris Christie, who's working his butt off for you to get you elected, who's doing debate prep for you. You don't have the the basic decency to not to take a test to assure him and Rudy, Bill Stepien, who was in the room. His campaign manager is working 20, you know, I, I have a noble stepping quite well, working 24-7 to get him elected. You don't have basic decency to take a test to make sure that you don't have the virus so you don't spread it to them. Right. And if he doesn't do that for the people who actually he knows and are helping him, like his campaign manager, like Rudy, who's, you know, any semblance of credibility Rudy had, he he got rid of him in service of, of uh this president, if he's not doing that for them, what do you think he thinks about regular voters who support him? How much does he not care? Well, we know how much he doesn't care because we saw what happened in Sanford. Standing on stage behind Trump and half of them weren't wearing a mask. Right. They used to, if you remember, they used to wear a mask 
but they used to wear a mask to protect him so that he wouldn't get infected. Now that he doesn't think he can get infected anymore, it doesn't matter if they wear a mask or not behind him. So they're allowed to not wear a mask anymore. I think that says it all. That That's infuriating. <laughs> but it's like, what can you do? Like, it's actually, you can't do anything. I'll tell you why you can't do anything. Listen, your body, their choice. You know, you want to kill yourself, God bless. But the problem is you go to the supermarket with your body, your choice, and you cough on me. And then I get it. What have I done to deserve it? I'll make decisions. I saw this great daily show um, meme on Instagram that said there was uh, in front of a Trump rally, the one of the correspondents asked a guy, why aren't you wearing a mask? He's like, well, it's my choice. It's my body. And then he's like, do you support abortion he's like absolutely not yeah and you know their attitude is well it's it's not you know it's not just their body it's somebody else's life you know it's the baby's life okay let's assume that you're you're right it's the baby's life well guess what else is the baby guess what else's life it is when you get covid the person you cough on it's their life too they're they're as innocent as that baby is exactly but apparently that doesn't matter because again we've seen this before people like that only want to protect quote-unquote life in the womb the minute it's out, doesn't matter what happens to the kid. Right. That's why they don't fund early education or healthcare, universal healthcare, or anti-poverty programs, or in this case, even do the basic fundamental responsible thing of making sure that if you have the virus or suspect you have the virus, you don't go around breathing on other people, you self-isolate. Exactly. Or just wear a damn mask. It's not that hard. Like, what's so hard about wearing a mask? It's really not. I mean, really, what is so hard about wearing a mask? Absolutely nothing. It's inconvenient, but it's not really. Because you're saving lives. You're helping people. It's it's just like... It's not inconvenient. What's inconvenient? Oh, I don't like the mask. I can't breathe. Give me a break. It's just uh, it's just the selfishness. I don't know what's happened. I mean, it used to be that people really like were in all in it. That, I guess that's what's making me salty, Emily. It used to be, I guess, maybe I'm being idealistic, that we all used to be in, in on it together. Yep. We all sort of, and now we're not. Now it's like every man or woman for themselves, except that some people are too dumb to realize they're actually hurting themselves in the process. Exactly. So. I think that's an excellent theme for people to, to walk away with this with. Well, tell me something happy, because this has like been a very depressing pod. Uh, uh, you made tiramisu in chocolate cake, which was bomb. It was a bomb. I got to say, I still have a lot of it left. That chocolate cake was good. I actually didn't try the tiramisu, but the cake was good. I had tiramisu for breakfast. Did you? I, had I actually did. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> so I had chocolate cake in a really sneaky way. I just kind of took my finger and, and ate half the frosting off the cake and left it to others to actually eat the cake itself. The frosting is seriously like there's a talent there with pure frosting. The tiramisu with the stuff on top that uh, the frosting from a couple weeks ago was amazing. This frost, like, well, this chocolate frosting, I'll tell you the secret. It's really not a secret. I literally put not one, not two, not three, but four sticks of butter in there. I think that did it. That did it. It (laughs) You're literally eating chocolate butter. That was excellent. Four of butter and probably a pound of sugar and cocoa and vanilla that but made, it was very good 
Yeah. So that made me extremely happy. And then I did an awesome walk yesterday throughout Central Park. And like, you forget how beautiful the city is and how wonderful it is. Yeah. And, and then the leaves are starting to change on the trees. And it's something I never got in Florida. And every time I see it, it almost takes my breath away because it's so pretty. And I never really well, get to appreciate it all the time. Yeah, we were up in Massachusetts last weekend um, for the first time in a couple of weeks, and the leaves have started to change. And I'm hoping we will get there next weekend. I'm not sure. I have to check out my son's soccer schedule. But um, I think we're going to hit peak leaf season, which is the best time ever to be in the Northeast, and especially New England. So I'm hoping we can make it up there next weekend to take a look. It's so pretty and amazing up there. That's actually a positive thing to end on. October in New England is fantastic. Perfect. All right. Till till next time. All right. Bye. Bye.